It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to a special Kick to Kick episode. We thought we would talk about the Galahs. Yes. Uh, so welcome, Charlie. Oh, thank you, Timmy. It's good to be here. Um, so the Galahs, something I was only really vaguely, I only vaguely knew about. I didn't really know this is where the international rules really started. Did you? I no. I, I I'm surprised you even vaguely knew about it. I had I had nothing. No, okay. I. It's, it's a weird thing. Like, I've always always really enjoyed the International Rules series as a thing, but never thought about, I wonder where this came from. So it's interesting to go back and have and, and know more about it. Absolutely. So it was Moz who, you're saying, brought our attention to it because there's a documentary called The Galahs, which was yes. released on August 7th, 2016, produced and directed by Camp Think, Rob Heath and Tony Wilson, um, whose father, Ray Wilson, was one of the Hawthorne players of that era. Um, it's a sepia-toned production with original music by David Bridey and editing by Ken Sellers. And the idea for this film came from an article written by Rob Heath in uh, on the Human yeah. website. So through, throughout this episode, we'll, we'll try to litter some, um, some audio from the movie. But as we said, go and see the movie or download the movie. It's much better than we can, uh, we can present here. And so we obviously are able to now get our hands on the uh, with the genius that is the streaming services around the world. And this one in particular is available on Stan. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and so it was right at, our, right at the fingertips and we jumped on and, and all had a look at it. And I'm sure plenty of people have been watching. And it's good that something like that, which probably wouldn't, like is, is probably a bit more specialised, can now get out there to a wider audience. It's yeah. Very cool. Uh, so, yeah, the Galahs were, I mean, in a nutshell, a group of players who went and played Gaelic football against an Irish team well not a team of Irish like an Irish county team yeah so it all so it all came about right as we said like there's been we've talked in the past of, in the in the history of of years that we've spoken about about how people have tried to internationalize the game how they've yeah. tried to play games you know firstly playing in New South Wales and trying to spread it across the country and then playing games in uh, new, uh, you know, New York and, and London, and trying to spread the love of AFL. Mm. And this was on the same token, right? It was like this: this game should not be just us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, this happened in 1967, following the 1967 season. But the idea for it happened earlier in the 60s. Um, Hawthorne player Ian Law was obviously was the first player to kind of come up with that idea. And let's have a quick listen to what he said. It all began when I, I had a trip to London and uh, sitting in the hotel there and saw the uh, All-Ireland final. And a chap sitting next to me from Perth said, there you are, Ian, there's an opportunity for you fellas to get some international competition. I then went to Ireland, made a few contacts Brian Dixon wrote an article in The Age. Andrew Buckle was one person who, who responded. The other was Harry, Harry Beitzel. So I was going to say that Ian Law was really, he, was un, he had this idea, but he was 
unsure how to do it, and he approached former he, he approached Brian Dixon, five-time Melbourne Premiership player uh, and prominent Victorian politician, who put his feelers out in, in an article in the Age. Yeah, and it's fascinating. You look at look at this article and it and the, the subheading is here: Australian rules football must go international if it's to progress. It cannot continue to expand simply by concentrating its efforts within Australia. Now, we know with the benefit of hindsight that that's not true. I mean, the game has expanded massively within Australia. But at the same time, I think there are still those who believe that this is a a problem and, you know, whether, how can we continue to expand our game? And, you know, the the worries here where he's saying, indeed, if it does not develop internationally, it may well wither away and ultimately perish. Now, we know that's not going to happen. No, it's not hyperbole at its best. That's that's politics. It's hyperbole there, but... But, you know, it's, it gets to a stage, right, where, you know, you look at our game versus the biggest games in the world and it's it's, it's incomparable. Absolutely. And the chance to represent your country as well. That's something that Australian rules yeah. have never had. Yes. Yeah. So anything else in that article worth mentioning, Charlie? Um, no, they're just, that, just sort of saying the same thing. So he's got his... His things that they're saying that what we've just mentioned, playing for your playing for your country, expanding the game, talking about the fact that uh, Hawthorne Rovery and Law is determined to make Australian rules international. Yeah. Uh, and then with the but this talks about what's needed. So pub, you know, you, we need publicity, we need um, tours, uh, people to put their put their money where their mouth is and put and get behind this idea. Yeah. And it needs to be not just a niche thing, but uh, something bigger and that's supported by the ANF at uh, the ANFC at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. So then from there, Harry Beitzel, former umpire, was the one to take up the mantle and really put this together. Yes. Yeah, so Harry was also a PR man as well yeah. as an umpire. Absolutely. So so he he took this and, and uh absolutely ran with it, didn't he? One of the first players I recruited was Ian Law. Uh he rung me up and said H, I want to be part of this. I think he'd seen perhaps the same match as me when he was on uh, a trip, just a personal trip, uh, overseas to London. And he was keen. He did. And he recruited a team of absolute champions. I mean, these names are amazing. Yeah. I mean, to name a few, you've got Barassi, Bobby Skilton, Herb Matthews, Stu McGee, Norm Brown... Hassaman, Don Williams, Barry Davis, Essendon captain Ken Fraser, Johnny Dugdale, Laurie Dwyer, Royce Hart, Paddy Gwinane, Bill Barrett, Neville Crowe, Jezza Lenko, Johnny Nichols, John Gillard, Graham Chalmers and Ian Law. Um, and then had a couple of others joining later on. Uh, who was that? Bob Keddie from Hawthorne, Peter Body from Sydney, Naval and Roger Dean from Richmond. So Peter Body from Sydney Naval, what a random! I know, yeah, lucky, lucky guy. The Christian Leitner of, so uh, good. of the team. It's so good. Like this, we've got to go back to to being able to watch this. Like because this was made in 2016, so many of these guys are still around, still vibrant, able to have a good chat, and like telling the stories of of this series and how they got into it and stuff. It was great, and talking about you know, some of the friction there was between some of these players because obviously they're coming from all the different clubs of the VFL 
there's been a few little on-field issues between a few of them, particularly uh, Roger Dean and, and Barras, right? Absolutely, yeah. And um, did they have to room together? Who were the ones that had to room together? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. You're testing my memory there. What was this a couple of weeks ago now? Yeah, there's there two who roomed together who just didn't get on at all and then found out they were great boys. Yeah, and that's kind of it, isn't it? It's like another another opportunity other than like playing for playing for the big V where you get to be around guys who you'd usually just be facing up against. So you look through this list and there's not really many champions that haven't been included. I mean, there's no Daryl Baldock or Ian Stewart and there's no, I can't see any Collingwood players. But or Kevin Murray, but other than that, it's pretty much the who's who of football. From Isn't it at this stage? Yeah. Um. So from that, they became dubbed the Galars, and this is because of the, the I guess, would you call it a ceremonial uniform? Their casual yes. uniform. Yes. How would you describe that, Charlie? The what the ceremonial uniform? Yeah. So what I mean, the the big thing that they talk about is the the slouch hat, right? Yeah. So, I mean, how how do you describe the rest of it? So yeah, so they're wearing a slouch hat, so reminiscent of of the diggers. Yep. Yeah. And then it is sort of like a it's a gold like a almost olive green. It's a green and gold, like a gold a green blazer with a gold map of Australia and a kangaroo on it and a big um, pink feather on the on the slouch. Absolutely. Um, which, yeah, which kind of brought the name, the Galahs. So Peter Cerati, the athletics coach we might have talked about, um, he described the players in their uniforms as a pack of Galahs. <laughs> Harry Bytel kind of embraced this term as the team name. Um, but the RSL, so if we get back to that uniform, the RSL weren't happy with no, they weren't. So it was it was done on the on the sort of as part of that Australian uh, uniform of you know we we're trying to show respect, I guess, and being and saying that as we've mentioned on our on previous episodes that football was a big part of diggers' lives um, on the, on the front lines, but the RSL uh, were not overly happy with it, and they thought it was a bit disrespectful. And uh, and yeah, not not quite right. I think. But I like um I like Harry Harry Bitesell told reporters that uh that the hat was nifty and natty. He claimed that no matter where Australian diggers congregated during the war, there was always a football being kicked around, and yeah. it was a part of that. And um, I think if we talk about the time period as well, late sixties, that's when all that anti-Vietnamese sentiment was going around. So, um, you know, there's a there's a bit of a Kickback and pushback in those days as well, wasn't they? Yeah, definitely, definitely a little bit of pushback. So then, so and that, so the, the, that first part of the doco is all about just how the team came together, how it all got set up, how they pulled these guys in, and obviously it took a couple of big names. It took Ian Law and Harry Bytel, who obviously had he, he was able to talk anyone. In. He could sell ice to Eskimos at this stage, couldn't he? Plus, he, he sort was of the whole thing himself. Well, that's it, and he could, and he convinced everyone. And a few of the guys, were like you know, worst case scenario, this is a trip around the world to see, you know, to see some interesting things, right? Yeah, like, and a lot of them possibly hadn't even, go wrong. Yeah, a lot of them hadn't even travelled out of Victoria at this stage, so yeah, it was a, an awesome yeah. experience. 
The um the jumper they wore as well was a green jumper with the Australia like a square patch on the front with a yellow map of Australia and the, the kangaroo in the middle of that. The same thing that was on the blazer. And then the, yeah. um, the jumper's got green collar and green cuffs around the arms. Yes, reminiscent of um of one of the jumpers from the World War Two game, right? World War One, yeah, the one in London. World War One game, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, um, this, there's a song called "The Rambling Gambler," which was their unofficial football anthem on this tour. Let's have a quick listen. I'm a rambler, I'm a gambler, I'm a long way from home. And if you don't like me, then leave me alone. I'll eat when I'm hungry, I'll drink when I'm dry. And when shine don't kill me, I'll live till I die. All right, so Charlie, the first issue was having to learn Gaelic rules. So that what they decided was that they would, uh, the Australians would play Gaelic rules, but instead of doing the solo where they kick it to themselves, they, they could bounce. That was the only... Oh, and, only yeah, time, yeah, so... Did, Different to the way international rules is now, where it's kind of an amalgamation. It was basically the Aussies learning to play a new game, which was similar enough, but yeah. there are a few different things in there, right? So, so no tackling, um, lots of running, goals through the net worth three, through the uprights worth one, uh, but no point posts. No point posts. No. Yeah. So they had and six weeks that, to kind of um, do that. Once the decision was made that it was on, I mean, we had a number of training sessions with the round ball to try and master um, how to control the round ball, which we thought would be very easy, but turned out to be quite difficult. Our biggest problem we had was the round ball. But we used to just kick straight on. We could go over that way or over the other way. Or very difficult. And we got two uh, Irish men who had played Gaelic, who were now had emigrated to Australia, and they were to tell us how to play the game. Eamon Mackey was his name. They go pretty well. They'll need to improve their shooting a bit. The round ball is throwing them slightly. Well, you can see the... We didn't pick it up that quickly. I mean, we didn't know how to kick the ball. Didn't worry me. And they were fit. I mean, these guys... I mean, you're talking about the, be the best of, in the league. So they're, they're fit guys anyway. So uh, it didn't take them too long to adapt, did it? Not at all. One of the uh, one of the Irish journalists referred to them as uh, the bronze Aussie giants in their sleeveless jerseys, looking like a lineup for the Mister Universe contest. <laughs> so before sorry, they sorry. before they left Melbourne um, on the eve of their departure, twenty second of October, they actually played a bit of a scratch match against a motley crew of Irishmen, probably expats, in Melbourne just to to get the feel for the game. Um, and they won. The Goliaths had a, a narrow victory. Um, but the Irishmen were pretty confident that the, uh, the touring team would be hammered in Dublin. Well, it kind of that that kind of makes me imagine like imagine you know being overseas as an expat who can play footy and like the Irish putting together a team of, of AFL being like oh we beat that group of idiots so I'm sure yeah. we can beat like the best players and yeah it doesn't really stack up does it yeah. Um, so they had a bit of a, it sounds like they had a cavalcade through the streets of Melbourne as like a departure tour, which I couldn't find any pictures or anything from, but there was a bit of a parade before they left. Yeah. Um, they didn't exactly fly straight to Europe, they actually flew to the Northern Territory. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously where your world tour starts in Darwin. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. But yeah, they played it. They played a game there on, uh, uh, yeah, just before they continued to leave against the, 
NT, uh, NTFL representative side. Yep. In what you can only imagine would be sweltering conditions. <laughs> yes. And uh, funnily enough, the Galahs defeated that team by almost 70 points. Royce Hart, the young man, Royce Hart, booting seven goals. Yeah, so Royce Hart, seven. Skilton, Gunane, two each. McGee, two. Mann and Chalmers, one. Nichols, one. Dean, one. And an unnamed player kicked one as well. Um, The All-Stars apparently realised they had an extreme height advantage early. And Barassi's instruction was just kick it long. And the All-Stars kicked long and high, resulted uh, being that they were often taking uncontested marks. <laughs> they, just, uh, they just took it over the top. Yeah. Um, after the game, they partied with the Waratahs Football Club. And then the uh, the next day, they left for Hong Kong. Um, and before we, we go any further, other members of the touring party include Charlie Callender, the uh, property steward, Dr. Vernon Vivian, Medico, Bill Guliano, the physio, George Scott in charge of travel, Bernie Doyle, publicity, Dermot McIver was a liaison, Monty Milson, manager, Kevin Dwyer, assistant manager, Tom O'Halloran, treasurer, and Andrew Buckle was a liaison. Another liaison. Yes. You can never have too many liaisons. Can no, you? Especially, especially on a free trip to around the world. <laughs> And so this took them to uh, so Hong Kong and then on to Ireland, where on Saturday, the 28th of October, they took on a civil service team in Dublin, which is a bit of a warm-up match for the Galahs. They won this warm-up match by two points. Um, but one of the other... Still good signs. Yeah. Um, one of the other good, uh, remarkable things about this game was Jim Stein's dad actually played for this civil services team. Isn't that unbelievable? Just... Uh... The connections made already there. So Brian Brian Steins, wasn't it? His dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they won that game. So undefeated at this stage in the three games that they played. Um, and then on Sunday, the 29th of October, 1967, they took on the All Ireland Senior Football Champions in Meath. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. So that, that was the team, Meath, and they were playing at Croke Park, which is the big stadium. Yeah, so and, uh, Meath had won the uh, the All Ireland Championship back in September. Uh, they'd beaten Cork twelve to nine in a pretty exciting game. Um, yeah, and and a, a really good part of the documentary is you get to hear from the, the actual Irish players as well, not just the English, uh, the Australian players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, they were they were stoked to be playing against them. I mean, they sort of said similar to what that uh, article that earlier article said that the Aussie boys were just big and broad and di- different build to play AFL than it is to play Gaelic. Not too much, but yeah. Yeah, so the uh, the Irish Times told its readers that the men from Meath were keen as mustard and thriving, <laughs> would thrive on the grind. And, you know, we're going to... Thriving on the grind. I like that. Yeah. Um, but Barassi really, uh, really pumped the team up with an inspirational speech. Let's have a quick listen to that. This is the moment we've waited for. This is the reason why we've travelled 12,000 bloody miles. Today we are wearing the Australian Guernsey for the first time in an international game. All is in vain unless we win. We must win. We must. Um, And here's a nice little touch as well. The Australian team used Waltz and Matilda as their anthem at matches um, rather than God Save the Queen because it was a bit of a that whole Irish English rule thing. So yeah, a nice little touch there. And also just really separating, you know, it's the Aussies, right? Which is, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't a massive 
crowd that turned out. It was just decent, but not big enough for Harry to make any of his money back yet. Um, but when the Meath players arrived onto the field, the Australians considered some as being too small and weak, and others as being overweight. The Australians came to grips with the game slowly, but insistently, but it was their conditioning that offered them the greatest hope, obviously, having played a full season and that fitness being a massive part of the game now. Yeah, yeah. So they, they're using their, their strength and their ability to run out a game to help them where their skills are probably still a bit lacking, right? Yeah. Facing in the second half, a 10 points lead. 2 7 to 3 points as Jack Quinn kicks it out. And Ron Barassi, the Australian captain, as the ball knocked out of his hand. Ken Fraser takes a shot instead. It goes in hard. The goal mouth comes into the hands of Royce Hart. And it's another goal. Yeah, so they, from uh, a combination of uh, shorthand passing and long punting, they actually destroyed the All, All Island champions. Because we didn't expect this. You know, we just weren't reacting to it at all and we were being absolutely ram ragged. We had this feeling all the time that we could turn it on when we wanted to turn it on and we wanted to turn it on in the second half, but we weren't able to do it because they were able to counteract everything we did, like, like you know. The final score being Australia 3-16, um, which would be, what, 3-16-25 to Meath 1-10-13. Yeah. They received a standing ovation from the Irish crowd. And some of the headlines in the news the next few days in Ireland read, a lesson from the Aussies, Aussies tamed the chance and Aussies eager to play. Yes. So very interesting. That, 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 I mean, six weeks of practice and they've beaten them. So it goes to show that it's probably a bit more, no, hard to say, but it sounds like a bit more professionalism in the VFL in terms of, you know, the, as we said, that conditioning and stuff than there is in the in the highest league of, of Gaelic at this yeah. stage. Um, so they've yeah they've taken that to the All Island Champions and and beaten them on their own and beat them at their own game. Crazy. Um, they then flew to London for an exhibition match of Australian rules football, which was conducted under lights at Crystal Palace and in heavy rain between Australia and Britain, but they're very loose terms as Britain was composed mainly of expats plus some of the Galahs who switched sides. Thank um, God. Captain of the British side was a player called Eldon Smith. They played 15 a side. Um, Australia won this game 101 to Britain 75. And a nice, a nice crowd here getting some money back in Harry's pocket. Yeah, so time to make a bit more money back. Then they flew back to Ireland, Charlie, to take on Mayo, who were the 1967 Canucks Senior Football Championship winners. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. No, I mean, who would ever know with no. Irish, right? But, yeah. No, so um, they had won that back in uh, back in July. So it's been a while since they'd won that title. They beat Leitrim, Leitrim 4-15 to 0-7. So they were talking yes, so another. They were taking on another championship side, basically, and and again at Croke Park as well. So that's obviously the place to play. Yeah, and they were considered the second best team in the country. Um, so this was the following Saturday afternoon. They played them, um, and again the Galars won the game in front of twenty thousand one hundred twenty-one people, which is very. It's getting more interesting because you think you know maybe Meath sort of underestimated. How how, much, how prepared they needed to be or whether they were bringing their best side to this, whereas surely for saving faces, the Irish, you'd want to make sure that Mayo's doing, doing their very best. 
Uh, but yeah, beaten again. Yeah, well, Mayo led for much of the first half, but then the Australians ran them over in the second. So what, the score was 212-18 to 2-5-11. So closer. Definitely closer. But uh, yeah. the Australia, it's Australia undefeated still. Can't be beaten, mate. No. So, world dominance starts here. <laughs> and then wanting to make more money, and um, he took his players from Croke Park to Dublin Airport and onto a specially arranged flight to New York for another game the following afternoon where they were playing in the Bronx uh, against the New York Gaelic football team. So straight, so two games in Ireland, this has all been, I mean, I know it's dubbed the international tour, but two games in Ireland, that's all, that's all a lot. Two games in Ireland, a game in London, a game in Darwin, and a game in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Sunday the 5th of November, they took on the uh, the... New York Gaelic football team. And this is where the, the, the tour finally caught up to them, Charlie. Um, they lost that match 4-8-20 to zero goals, 5-5. It, it, sounds like, it sounds like it was an absolutely grubby match, though, this one. Very biffs and brawls. Um, yeah. The one story I remember was, was Hassaman getting, getting king hit behind the play and had his jaw broken in three places. Yeah, just, just, it, just the game. I had no idea down. it was coming. Yeah, I mean, this, this kind of reminds me a little bit of the 1958 grand final. Sorry to bring it up, but you know, the Glass riding high and, and the uh, the New York Gaelic football team knowing, you know, there's only one way to beat them and that's just go the biff and they, they went the biff. That's just to hit them, exactly. Ron Barassi, the then, story is Ron Barassi having his nose broken by New York narcotics detective Brendan Tamulti. Uh, yes. Who, who broke his thumb in his own, in the process. In his fist. And there's a great scene in the uh, in the doco of of the two of them seeing each other again on um on this is your life I guess it was on Channel Nine later later on many years later like the guy had come over and Barras meets him again yeah and this guy is humongous like yeah. it's hilarious yeah it's great well, supposedly very good scene well after the game they both had to go to the hospital like Barassi for his nose and. The cop for his hand. They got to know each other while in the waiting room. Became pretty good friends. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, so then the Australians flew to California. Some went to Vegas for a bit. Some went to Hawaii. But that was basically the end of the tour. Um, yes. They claimed to have lost about $10,000 over the three weeks. And it's really nice at the end that, that uh, Barassi talks about, you know, we, didn't, we decided not to accept any payment at all. We didn't want to. Yeah, they just they they went on the tour and they enjoyed the tour and that was kind of the experience was their payment. Yes, of. absolutely, which was a nice gesture. Yeah, and it, and as you said, like it it took a little while for for this to really catch on as and continue the way it has been, and it it's always been a sporadic thing, hasn't it? It's sort of gone gone in and out and doesn't get played every year. But the international yeah. rules series has come from this. Yeah, so what, that's, that's the legacy that this has left, isn't it? Yeah. So, one, I think they kind of changed the professional outlook in Ireland as well so that their players started to focus more on fitness and, and the running side. Um, well, that you could you can see straight away that how big a difference that made. Because the Aussies never would have won if we were playing guys who were the same, same speed and fitness, oh, surely. 100%. Um, and the Meath team actually toured Australia the following year and won it. I think they beat Australia in two test matches in Australia. So there you go. And Australian team, the Glass toured again in 68. 
Um, and then in 1984, the international series kicked off probably in the fashion we know more about now. Yes, it did more similar to that. And and it's and it's bred this unbelievable connection between between Ireland and Australia with Australian rules. And, um, you know, ha- I mean, how, how many players have come over who've started as Gaelic players to now play in Australia? It's heaps, isn't it? Yeah. And you can, you probably trace it back to this, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's been, there've been uh, issues with that from the other side. And then there, there's been issue, issues with the international series and some people in Ireland wanting to end it because they say, well, the Aussies just come over here and steal our best young talent to take over to the AFL. Um, but it's it's grown a, yeah. I mean, we we love watching those sorts of players play. They've, they've got sort of a, a skill and a style of their own, don't they? Yeah, I remember watching uh, watching Conor McKenna for Essendon doing a solo in a game against Essendon to kick it up to himself. Yeah, amazing. And different amazing. skills, just but those, I mean- those different little things that those guys can do. It's incredible. But, yeah. When, when the game's so similar, it's its crazy for them not to come over here where there is more money and it's bigger exposure. And but, but what a great thing to be able to do that and play those games against each other. And, and yeah. Two yeah. very local... And they... Two very local games. Gaelic yes. only play in, in Aussie rules. Yep. To be able to enjoy that international feel... And you know, a bit of that together is so great. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's the, that's basically the story of the Galars. We didn't want to like it. The movie tells it in a lot better fashion than we do. We were what we were mostly doing there was just recounting the games they played, but the documentary really goes into a lot more detail, and you hear from a lot of the players. Yeah, and the just the anecdotes of these guys, and you can see in the way they still talk about it that it's it's was an experience that stuck with them all. Like, they just loved doing it. The younger guys loving the fact that they got to spend time with the superstars of the day. Those guys being able to play together and spend time together in different environments and having big big nights out in London and in, in New York. And, yeah, those, the anecdotes are just great. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, and we're, we're not going to focus on the 88, the six, sorry, the 68 tour or... We're not going to harp on too much about the international rules, but this, I think, is a really important one because, as you just said, it's where we can trace back all of the international rules and the Irish players too. So it did have a big impact on the game. Yeah, and what an what an interesting character Harry Bytesell turned out to be. Like, spending all this money uh, doing this and having this legacy. Such a legacy. But, yeah... Yeah, very, very interesting man. That to be to be able to bring all those characters together and pull this off, even though he lost a bit of cash. Tell you what, he, he's gained gained it in the long run. Absolutely, he has. Yeah. So, look, thank you for tuning in for our quick. I mean, this is this is a very short episode for, for what we're used to, Charlie. Yeah, really, it was just just us having having come across this ourselves and we've been talking about it a bit and, and we thought well god we should put something out there and make sure that m- more and more people are watching this because it's great to see and and as we said in, in the beginning there's a lot of guys in there who who are doing these interviews who you don't really get to see anymore and they aren't, aren't in the public eye and don't, aren't talking and it's yeah it's great to hear those stories from guys who aren't telling them anything so it's great yeah so um, there you go. Yeah. So get on there on Stan the Glass. 
Yep. Give it a give it a look, and uh, you'll you'll love it. You won't regret it. Absolutely. We'll put some of these links up in uh, on our socials as well, so you can get a. If you're interested in reading reading more or knowing more, there's there's a little bit of information out there. Yes. And otherwise, we will uh, we'll check in with you from 1968 soon. Cannot wait. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.